and welcome to another episode of Worked Up, the podcast where you learn to navigate the workplace, business, and your career with a little more ease and a lot less angst. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beck, and we have a wonderful guest in the studio with us today, Diane Hessen. Welcome. Thank you, Jacqueline. Great to be here. So happy that you're here, and I appreciate you giving us your time By way of background, Diane is an entrepreneur. She's a marketer and an author. She's currently CEO of Salient Ventures, an investment and advisory company with a portfolio of angel investments focused on technology. She's also chairman of C-Space, where she was the founder and CEO for 13 years and holds several board positions across academia, banking, medicine, and business. She's keynoted at over 50 events in the last five years, focusing on leadership, entrepreneurship, women's issues, and customer centricity. So needless to say, she has a lot of experience and she's very busy. Right. I know. I sound like I'm 90 years old, don't I? No, No, you don't. Doing all that. Yeah. It sounds like you're very accomplished. Thank you. And frankly, I don't know how you do it all. So that's probably something we can get into also. But before we dig in, because there's so many wonderful directions that we could go in today, do you mind giving the listeners a sense of your background? Sure. Um, Oh, where do I start? (laughs) Okay. I'm going to start early. Like, I hope your listeners don't get nervous about this, but I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I had a younger brother who, when he was two years old, my parents gave him one of those doctor kits, like a little black plastic thing. And if I was the older sister, I tore it open. I pulled the stethoscope out. I put it around his neck and he was basically done. I mean, my brother at two years old was ready to be a doctor, went to med school, loved science. The entire thing was a surgeon his entire life. I thought everybody else was also like that. And I was embarrassed that I just didn't know. People would say, Diane, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. What do you want to major in? I don't know. What do you want your summer internship to be? What industry? Pick anything. I don't know. What I ultimately learned, and we can spend some time on this, is that it is great to not know. Because if you can deal with the uncertainty, the benefit of not knowing is that things show up in your life along your journey a person at a cocktail party, somebody sitting next to you on a plane, a panel that you go listen to where all of a sudden you get an idea and you are willing to look to the right, look to the left and take advantage of something that sounds really interesting because you don't really know where you're going. And my career has been so varied because I've had the luxury of being able to completely pivot, you know, where I am. Um, I started out in marketing uh, right after business school at General Foods, which was a large food company, uh, moved into consulting for a little while, then worked uh, in a training and development firm where I stayed for over 15 years. Oh, wow. That's where, I mean, think about working for a company that does training programs. I mean, I've taken every leadership, every sales, every customer service training program in the world. And as a result, I learned how to be good at that stuff. Right. And the company I was working for, I, I was a very early employee. We ended up growing really fast uh, and we sold for well into the nine figures to Pearson, Oh wow! Uh, which was a publishing company uh, in the UK. And one year I was in there, I rose to be like the number 
two, three, four person in the company or whatever. And I had had a spectacular year. I'm sitting with my boss and he had been signaling that maybe he was going to step aside and become chairman. And then in my performance review, of course, we're women. So I, you know, I stayed up the night before practicing this in the mirror a zillion (laughs) times. And I looked at him and I said, John, I'm not trying to kick you out, but if you ever decide that you want to step aside and be chairman, I think I would be a great next CEO. And he looked at me and he said, Diane, someday you are going to be a great CEO, but right now you're a work in progress. And I was heartbroken because I had done really well, but it was like the first time in my life I had ever stated out loud. Yeah. I think I know what I want to do. I want to be a CEO. And he thought I wasn't ready. And I thought I was. And I didn't walk right. I didn't put my hands on my hips, walk out of there and say, oh, I'm done. But I started shopping it around. I talked to friends. I said, you know, why don't we get out of this place? I mean, let's start our own company and hire people we love and build the kind of organization we always wanted to work in and all of that. And my friends would say to me, Diane, if you ever do that, let me know. I'll come with you. Like they didn't have my dream, but they affirmed it. And about six months after that meeting, I left. It was 2000. It was the beginning of the internet boom. Mm. And I had an idea, but the big thing for me was that I wanted to lead a company. And I figured the easiest way to become a CEO was to start my own company and to call myself the CEO. And yet, of course, I had had thousands of people working for me. So I didn't want to build a tiny little company where it was me and three other people. I wanted to build an enterprise that really mattered. So that was my motivation for becoming an entrepreneur. Uh, The story of my company, Communispace, I could take two hours doing all of the ups and downs. Um, It was basically three years of hell and angst and stress followed by about 10 years of glory and really just kind of being a rocket ship. And, um, you know, two near-death experiences, meaning we almost ran out of cash, a massive case of employee fraud, et cetera. Oh, wow. But over the years, you know, those friends that I had talked to joined me. We raised about $20 million in venture capital and just struggled and struggled and struggled. And we finally figured it all out. Um, And the company that we created really helped major brands get insight and inspiration from their consumers. Like what Communispace did is we uh, think focus group on steroids. Mm. So, um, you know, through the magic of the internet, you could have all of these consumers, you know, right at your fingertips whenever and wherever you needed them. And we took advantage of that and had a phenomenal run. Um, we sold the company in 2011. I stayed for a while. We bought a couple of companies. It was fun to be part of something big, but I was ready to do some new things. Mm-hmm. I did more of a mission-driven company after that in the education space and then had a couple more serendipitous sorts of things that led me into all kinds of new fields like journalism, et cetera. So my career has been a series of just gradually saying, ooh, that was fun. Ooh, that looks interesting. And just kind of saying, what's the worst thing that happens? I think I'll make a bunch of big changes. You just mentioned 
so many things that I want to dig into. And I love this idea of it's great to not know. I know a very wise woman who says confusion is the highest state of being (laughs) because it allows for possibility, right? So can you explain a little bit about what you mean by it's great to not know? Sure. And let me tell you that, you know, I've been out there in the workforce now for over 40 years. And so this did not, I did not know all of this. I spent a lot of my life saying, oh my gosh, look at all of these people that really are clear. And I used to literally say, you know, oh, I wish I could have a resume that says, you know, I want to be an analyst in a small to medium sized investment firm. Like that would be my fantasy would be to be that clear. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't know. But whenever I didn't know, you know, something interesting would happen. I told you in the beginning, um, when I was working for General Foods, it was my first job out of business school. I go in the first day and the head of uh, recruiting says to me, okay, Diane, we're going to place you here. We have like 200 products in this company. You can work on stovetop stuffing, country time lemonade, (laughs) bird's eye frozen peas, Gainsburgers. I mean, she gave me the whole list. And of course, I didn't really know which product I wanted to work on. You know, everybody else has strong feelings about it. So I said, you know, play me where you really think you need me. And my only request is give me a product that I understand. Right. She says, well, what do you mean? I said, well, like, I don't get decaffeinated coffee. Like, why would anybody drink something that tastes bad when it doesn't deliver the primary benefit? I feel the same way. Well, in their infinite wisdom, General Foods puts me in as a product manager on Brim decaffeinated coffee. (laughs) (laughs) which was the beginning of this incredible journey I've had through my entire life, getting an opportunity to really understand people who are different from me. And I loved trying to understand that consumer. And, you know, eventually I ended up founding a company that helped brands understand their consumers and, and do that on a continuous basis. And, you know, it, it ultimately parlayed me into a whole other field where I did a four-year project trying to understand American voters and what's tearing us apart and what they all have in common. But this whole theme of all that just started with some serendipitous moment with me saying to a recruiting person, I don't know, and her saying, I think I had to have this person sitting in a job trying to understand decaffeinated coffee. So it's great. You know, I go back to my brother who has been a surgeon for 45 years. And I think, okay, well, he never, you know, somebody might come to him with another opportunity. He would never look to the right or look to the left. He was always like, okay, I am going in this direction. And of course, that's one way to have a lot of success. But if you don't know, sometimes you can just trust that things will show up in your life and you have to set up your life so that you increase the possibility that all of those interesting things are going to happen. It's so interesting while you're talking. I'm thinking about myself somewhat. I'm, I'm sure. reflecting on my own journey because I grew up with a very myopic view of where I was going and what I was going to do and who I was going to be. And that was a power woman on Wall Street who was going to be a CEO and take over New York City. And I realized that was someone else's dream. It wasn't my dream. And the higher up I got in my career, the further away I was getting from what I loved, which seems very similar to what you're talking about, which is the people and understanding people, Mm -hmm. right? 
And so I love this idea of being open to opportunity because you never know what's going to come around the corner. You mentioned you never know who you're going to meet at a party. Right. You never know what panel you're going to go to. Yeah. It could even be things that are not social. So for instance, say you were on Wall Street and you loved your job and you thought you worked for the greatest company in the world and you had an incredible boss, which of course is the biggest gift. You get a boss that's great, that really pushes you, that really has your back. What happens if your boss leaves? Yeah. So maybe your boss leaves and you say, and the boss calls and says, why don't you come with me? Mm-hmm. It's not Wall Street. It's not this. It's not this. It's not this. The opportunity, sometimes it's a call like that, that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Or what if there's an opportunity in a whole different part of the organization to really learn, you know, what if you're, 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 you're doing wealth management and all of a sudden there's some opportunity in like asset management. Or that like, happened Whoa. to me. Do you know that was me? Oh, did it? Yes. No, I had no idea. <laughs> but it's just, that doesn't mean you do everything. It doesn't right. mean you take every fork in the road. But I think it's exciting yeah. to know that there are so many opportunities for you to just take a different path. And women sometimes say, well, I, I have one set of options. I'm either going to work really hard or I'm not going to re- work really hard. And those are my choices. But you know, within working hard are so many ways to do things. And the switches are not always because you're unhappy. Mm. It's just that somebody shows up or your phone rings or you read something or, or, or. And I think maximizing those opportunities. I've probably, people think my career is all over the place. I mean, there I was running a company, you know, like five years later, I'm on a whole bunch of boards and I'm on the Boston Globe editorial board and I'm writing articles and people and I'm on CNN talking about what's happening with voters. And it's like, ah, you know, how did she get there? But the journey was pretty straightforward. Yeah. You know, I just took one different path and I loved living my life that way. And I still do. You know, I, I still do wake up in the morning and say, well, you never know. Like you never know what could happen today but something could happen where there's an opportunity to just change everything one more time. And, you know, it's just fun to be like that. I, I think the older I get, the longer I think life is, you know, we Mm. keep saying life is so short, but we have so many chapters. Yeah. Um, I barely remember what I did, you know, in my first jobs, you know, out of college, out of business school and everything in there, just, you know, so many opportunities to do different things. Well, there's a very poetic juxtaposition in what you're saying, journey versus destination. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've used the example of your brother a few times mm-hmm. where he, he had a very clear destination, right? He wanted to be a surgeon. And it seems like your focusing on the journey allowed you flexibility to be able to take advantage of all the possibilities and opportunities that were thrown in your way. And that makes me think about risk. Right. Because a conversation I have with a lot of people is I've been on career autopilot. I've been on this path. Right. And if I go off this path, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. Right. So how did you consider the risk in each of your pivots? I think the big question that we need to ask ourselves is what's the worst thing that could happen? Mm. You know, what's my worst case scenario? And if you really think that through, mm, it's just not so bad. You know, for a lot of people, 
You have an opportunity to leave a job that you currently have and go do something else. If you've been doing a good job, you can always go back Mm -hmm. to what you were doing. So, um, you know, I think I have, Jacqueline, I think I have a bit of an, of an advantage there. I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Mm. Um, we really didn't have a lot. I didn't go to camp. I mean, I didn't do any of those things that a lot of people do when they're growing up. But I had a really happy childhood. Yeah. I had great parents. I had a lot of fun. And the benefit of that has been that it's always, you know, I always say to myself, what's the worst thing that could happen? Well. In the middle of my career, I used to think, well, the worst thing that happens is I'll have to move back to Norristown, Pennsylvania, and I'll be a barista. And that's a better worst case scenario than so many people have. Right. So I just, um, you know, and I was totally happy living there. So I think that's a lot of it. Most of the time, yeah, I say this to entrepreneurs all the time, because I, I do talk to a lot of people who say, oh, I just you know, I, I need some therapy here. <laughs> I need to get through the stress. And I do say, you know, hang in there. Like what's your worst case scenario? Your worst case scenario is you're going to have to get a job. Yeah. And for an entrepreneur that can feel terrible, wanna, yeah, who doesn't <laughs> want to be an employee, it can feel terrible, but that's your worst case. Right. Um, and it's not so bad. So I think a lot of our angst is just that. But if you get tangible about it and say, here are the possibilities. I know when I was building my company and I was very stressed over it, I finally realized that I was going to be fine no matter what. And I thought my employees who were extraordinary were going to be fine no matter what. And what I realized is that the stress, if my company didn't make it, was the notion of saying to our clients, they were all large Fortune 500 type companies, big brands. I, I loved what we were doing so much that I was stressed over the idea of having to pick up the phone, call them and saying, we're closing the business and we have to take your customer community away from you. So I got really tangible about it. And then I thought, you know, as much as I love what we're doing, as much as they love us, like Disney is not going to go out of business, yeah. you know, because we took away their parents' community. I mean, they would be incredibly sad. They probably, who knows, might not be able to innovate as quickly or all of the other things we were saying. But they'd be okay. So I think the more that you're stressed, like think through what is my worst case situation. And most of the time it makes you relax. So really it's about perspective Mm -hmm. and keeping that perspective in mind. And it sounds like it goes back to what you said before, knowing you can take care of yourself and knowing that you can figure it out. Yes. And knowing that almost everyone who has been successful has had two or three years of their life in a career that they hated or in a career where they just felt that they weren't a high performer. I mean, we have such high standards for ourselves. And yet we all, I mean, the journey is long. Yeah. Sometimes you make a mistake. You get a lousy boss. You get a job that's super boring. You get, um, you know, you get a job where what's really, really critical for success in that job is just not the stuff that you're strong at. And then you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to ruin my reputation. I mean, you start, all of that starts snowballing. Yeah. But we all have those times. And when we have those times, you do get a lot of clarity about what matters for you for the future and, and what you want to avoid in your next step. That makes a lot of sense. And it goes back to what you were saying about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship too. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether you're at the helm of your own organization or whether you're in a corporation, 
there's always going to be ups and downs. Absolutely. And even with entrepreneurship, I mean, you have to be clear about why you're doing it. Yeah. Right. I mean, some people, you know, I have friends who are entrepreneurs who I call them flippers. (laughs) So what they do is they come up with an idea and they build an app and the app is great and they sell it to Twitter and then they're done. Right. And then they have another idea and they build another app and they sell it to PayPal and then they're done. And that's what they love. They love the ideation, the ability to figure out what's really valuable and then kind of do the transaction. That wasn't my motivation. I mean, I wanted to create an enterprise that mattered, that made a dent in the universe. I wanted to walk through the hallways of my company and see people who I loved, who were doing brilliant things, who were having a great time at work, et cetera, et cetera. Like I had that dream. Now, the only way I could get to that dream was to build a really successful company because otherwise I'm walking through the hallways talking to myself. But that's a lot of it also is I think we have stereotypes about, you know, who's going to go to Wall Street and be successful, who's going to start a company or whatever. And I think you have to know why, why you want to do that. Or if you're in a job right now and you're really excited about it, like why, what is it? And I think you got to go deeper than, gee, I really love the people I work with. Right. I mean, what is it that's really getting you jazzed? And, and you can learn from that, tuck it in the back of your mind and keep going. What's intrinsically motivating you? Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned before how, you know, clearly purpose is central to what you were doing. Clearly, you know, in your words, you said you wanted to create an organization that mattered and left a dent on the world. Mm-hmm. You also scaled rapidly. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, Uh, described it akin to a rocket ship. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of companies I talk to and a lot of people I talk to struggle through the scaling phase Mm -hmm. to keep that focus on their original purpose and their mission, right? To make sure they're still hiring the great people that they wanted to surround themselves with when they first started their company. To make sure they still were a mission-driven company that was really focused on the why, Mm-hmm. of why we're building this company. Mm-hmm. How did you maintain that through exponential growth? Well, I'll tell you, it's funny that you asked that question because it was hard. I mean, <laughs> look, it's really hard to lead a company when you're struggling. It is. I mean, I used to say to my employees, look, don't worry about what's going to happen because I'm up every morning. I'm, I'm up all night long worrying. So I'll worry for you. I mean, it is, there are so many challenges Uh, when you're leading a startup and you're not sure that you're going to make it. But I will tell you, when we were scaling, that was also hard. Like people would be crying. People, I remember they called the company, they called us the crazy train. Like we'd sit in staff meetings, people would go, Diane, this place is the crazy train. There's like 20 times as much work for us to do. We have to hire, we need a different way of hiring people. And there was a Panera right next door to the building where we were. And I would literally sometimes go into the Panera, look around and see if I saw like a table full of people who looked like they were software engineers. And sometimes I did. And I would like walk up to the table and say, hi, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but who are you guys? And are any of you looking for jobs? I mean, I literally, we were so desperate for people. Yeah. You know, so you do make mistakes. You do do all of that. Um, For us, our North Star was our customers. Mm. 
um, we were kind of a customer obsessed company. Our clients absolutely loved us to the point where uh, one of my competitors, you know, we eventually, we were the first uh, to do what we did, but eventually it became, it's like a billion dollar space now building online communities for market research. And I remember one of our big competitors, I saw him at a trade show and he said to me, Diane, I just want you to know, I tell our salespeople, don't even call on community space clients because you can't get in. It's like a cult. (laughs) You know, they love each other so much. But that was a lot of it was the thrill of being surrounded by this network of clients that absolutely loved what we were getting from us. So number one, that's why people were working so hard was that they wanted to make the clients happy. And the fuel for that was we spent a lot of time getting testimonials from clients, having clients come to our office and talking about you know, I was lost and now I'm found right. sorts of stories and just kind of using that to get us through things and just reminding everybody how exciting it was, you know, to be on that kind of journey. I mean, the great thing about working in a company like that is your personal challenge is how do you grow as fast as the company's growing? Right. I mean, if the company is $10 million in revenues one year and the next year they're 20 million, the question is, and you know, in Europe, financial manager, can you be a financial manager of a $20 million company when last year you were one in a $10 million company? Different numbers, different challenges, maybe twice the challenge. So the career opportunities for people were astounding. So anyway, you try to, you try to focus on a lot of the enormous benefits you get from being part of it. Perspective again. Yeah. Not everybody can do it. Right. I mean, some people just, you know, they couldn't take it, it- and that was okay. It begs the question of accountability because I know a lot of people who are scaling companies that I speak with struggle with this notion of my employees don't care as much as I do. And it sounds like you just gave examples of demonstrating to employees their role and how they fit into the purpose of the organization, the impact they are having on clients and customers to prove that their time is valuable and worthy and they can make a difference. Mm-hmm. What would you say to a CEO who is scaling quickly and has that frustration that they, comp- they care more than mm-hmm. their people? Yeah. Well, the first thing I'd say is they're not going to care as much as you do. I mean, I think I had extraordinary people with a great work ethic, but no one cared as much as I do and no one should care. What I mean, imagine working for a company where you go, well, I think I care about this business more than the CEO does. Like that's pretty depressing. Yeah. So then the question is, how do you get people to care? And I think there are a few tactics. Number one, um, if you ask why people leave companies, we did this project once when I was in the training business and they're the top three reasons why people leave companies. So reason number three is money. Reason number two, you know, they make more money elsewhere. Reason number two is um, they don't like their boss. Mm. Reason number one is no one cares what I think. Mm. Um, I have all these ideas. I think we were going this way. I think we shouldn't do that. Here's what my client says or whatever. So one thing that really makes a difference is giving people a voice or doing things that demonstrate to people that they're in a, Feeling like you're making a difference is a great drug. You know, feeling that you matter. And okay, I'll tell you another story. Early, early in my career, 
I was working for a consulting firm. I was working my butt off. We probably had like a hundred employees. And one night there I am, I've been in the company for like a year and a half. I'm working. It's 10 o'clock at night. The office is pretty quiet. I go to the coffee machine. And as I'm walking back to my office with my coffee, the CEO comes walking down the hallway. I thought, oh, I'm going to get so much credit right now. And I saw him. He walks by me. I said, hi, Bob. And he says, hi. And he walked by me and I thought, oh my God, he doesn't know my name. (laughs) I've been here. I've been here for a year and a half. We're not that big a company. He doesn't know my name. And I tucked that in the back of my mind and I thought to myself, if I'm ever in his shoes, I'm going to know their name. And Jacqueline, it became my OCD. I mean, we had 50 people. I knew everybody's name. We had 100 people. I knew everybody's name. 200, 300, 400. I just obsessed over it because when you got to the point where it was 400, 500, 600, 700, people would, you know, I would go down the hallway and I would say, hi, Jacqueline. And people would look at me like, you're kidding. How do you know who I am? Sometimes people would say that to me. How do you even remember my name? And I found out that people used to talk about it all the time. You know, nobody would say, oh, gee, Diane was this great strategist or, you know, she did a great job raising money or whatever else. But people would talk all the time about how Diane knew everyone's name. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean, oh, you know, I know someone's name. Isn't that polite? It means you are important to me. It means you matter around here. And of course, they did to me. They were really important to me. So that doesn't mean, the moral of that story is not everybody who's listening to this should memorize everyone's name in their company. It was just for me, it was my way because of an experience that I had gone through of making sure that people knew that I really valued the fact that they were in the office early Mm. and they were leaving late and they were putting their kids in daycare and they were making sacrifices um, all for this company that I probably cared about more than they did. And at a minimum, I had to start by honoring them with the fact that I knew who they were. And I get extra credit if I actually could say and tell me what's happening with your Godiva community. So you create ownership. You know, you give people a voice and you have them feel like it's also their company. You know, sometimes you do it financially. Everybody had stock options and, you know, et cetera. You're tapping into very fundamental human needs. So my whole philosophy in everything I talk about is that business comes down to really three things and we overcomplicate it. Clarity, and that can take different forms in an organization, communication and relationships. And I like to say that people just like to be seen, heard, and understood. Mm -hmm. So you're saying, I see you. I know your name. You're important. Mm -hmm. You're saying, I hear you. I'm giving you a voice. I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm giving you the opportunity to influence. And I understand you because I see where you're coming from. I'll take it into consideration. It may not influence the way things go, but at least you're important here. Absolutely. Now, look, as your company gets big, you can't do that with everyone. Right. I mean- you can remember their name or you can do something like that. But after a while, you need to create a leadership team that does that also. 
mm-hmm. that does that for you because you can't scale your leadership and do what you've just talked about with every single person in your company. So that's a lot of what you do when you're recruiting talent. I mean, you don't just hire a chief financial officer who's great at the financials, although that's absolutely super critical. You hire somebody that you think can help you lead. Um, I, had an, I had a situation once here. This is a classic example. Uh, we were in the middle of a big strategic change, and it was specifically related to our business model, which was a subscription model, and it was really, really critical to our growth. So I'd add strategy to what you're talking about mm-hmm. and all that. But one day, I make this strategy presentation, and the following day, I see in one of the conference rooms that my chief technology officer is sitting in his office with someone who um, was pretty senior up in the software engineering organization. And I walk by and we had glass conference rooms and he motions to me like, Diane, can you come here? I walk in and he says to me, "Um, Diane, can you do me a favor? Jamie is not super clear on the strategy. And I was just wondering if you could answer some of her questions. And I sit down and Jamie asks me her questions and I answer them and she bobs out of there and she's happy and he starts to leave. And I said, uh, can you just stay for one second? He says, what? And I said to him, what was that? He said, what do you mean? And I said, you know, the strategy, like you could have answered all those questions. And he said to me, well, you do a better job of it than I do. And I thought to myself, ooh, that's a problem. Mm. I mean, this is a great, really, really talented person. And that was a signal to me that I couldn't scale the organization because if I had to be the person to answer everybody's questions about what's happening with the future of the organization or why we were going a particular way or whatever, then I was failing. So to me, I had to really sit down with my leadership team and make sure that they really knew how to articulate the strategy and felt confident that they could do it as opposed to me having to have a one-on-one conversation with everyone. Yeah. So two-part question then. What did you look for in promoting or hiring leadership? And how did you ensure that your vision and your uh, mission and the purpose really filtered through the organization through the lens of those leaders? Okay. You know, I think in general, when I look for, when I hire people, um, I guess are a few things. One is just, um, especially if you're in a startup or something like that, it's, and, but certainly in the environment in which we're all operating these days, I look for people who are able to deal with uncertainty without freaking out. Mm. I mean, no one loves, no one loves not knowing what's going to happen in the world, not knowing what's going to happen in the financial markets, not knowing what's going to happen, but being able to still be productive without hand wringing and fretting. And, you know, so if somebody needs total clarity about what's going on, that's really hard. And how do you find that out? It's like, it's interviewing the person who says, I've looked at the job description here. And in paragraph two, line four, you have the word, blah, 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 blah. How important is that? It's like, oh my gosh, 
I mean, the fact that I even came up with a job description is amazing because the job's <laughs> going to change every three weeks. That's one. I think a second one is just grit. Mm. Um, is this somebody has a great work ethic, really wants to go for it, can kind of pound things out. Um, a third one is um, somebody who's a learner, no matter what level. You know, sometimes you hire somebody into your organization, they're pretty senior, they have a lot of expertise, and they're like waiting for everybody to, you know, come to them and ask them questions. And so often, especially if they're high level, the first thing you have to do is just spend a lot of time asking questions and learning a lot about what's going on in the organization. So people who aren't Mm know-it-alls, you know, in my companies, I was always interested in people that were passionate, that had a lot of, but had a lot of passion. You know, it wasn't about themselves, but like passion for the business. How do you find that? You know, you're interviewing somebody and they say, okay, so I've gone through the website. I've read these three things. I read the four case studies about these four clients. And I just want you to know that I've never been more excited about this opportunity. Like demonstrating that, not saying I'm really excited, but saying I've read this, I've read this, I talked to this person, I thought about this, shows someone that is going to be able to get through tough times because they're digging in and, you know, they're excited about what you're up to. Um, Towards the end, right before we sold Communispace, our offices were so gorgeous. I mean, it was everything I ever dreamed. I mean, people would walk into our space and just go, oh my gosh. But what the negative was, people would walk in and they'd go, oh my gosh, I so want to work here. Mm. I so want to work here. And we'd have, we were headquartered in Boston. We had all of these community events. People would come to our space. Our cafeteria looked like Fenway Park, which is all related to my baseball obsession. <laughs> and Sometimes people would literally leave the company and say, you know, the problem is, I think I made a mistake. I came here. It's so great. It looks so great here. And there's so much energy and the people are so much fun. But, you know, I don't really like market research. And it's like, oh my gosh, we made a huge mistake. Like they were excited about the space. They were excited about the energy, but they didn't want to do anything related to helping brands understand their consumers. Like, how did we mess that up? So it, it's, it's the content of the passion. It's not, let me find somebody who's extroverted or whatever. It's not really about that. That's great because I always tell people when they're evaluating new jobs and new pivots to look at the tasks that the job requires, the environment of the organization, and the subject matter. Mm-hmm. And you, you're never going to get 100% on any of those categories. But if you're getting a, a C or a B on all of them, that's at least a good jumping off point. Yeah. I think the other thing that's worth doing, and you probably have advice for this, Jacqueline, is just, you know, I, I think people look for jobs on two dimensions usually. It's either what industry do I want to work in or it's what role do I want to play? So mm-hmm. I want a marketing job in any industry or I want to do anything possible on Wall Street or whatever. It's function or industry. And I think if you're early in your career in particular, it's great to be able to find a culture yes. that matches you. You know, what do you want to do? I have two daughters. One wants to wear like shorts and a tank top and never come into work, you know, and work remotely. Yeah. The other one wants to wear, you know, three inch heels and work in a building that has a marble lobby, you know, with 36 floors of elevators going in. And she wants to go into the office. Those are, that's a start, right? Do you want big company, small company? Yeah. 
Do you want formal, informal? Do you want remote or not remote? Do you want to wear high heels or do you want to wear flip-flops? Yeah. Right? What kind of leadership style do you want? You want an organization that's super, super collaborative or do you want a lot of clarity where you're taking orders from people? There are lots of dimensions like that. And very often culture is a much bigger deal than Mm -hmm. industry or even your role, especially earlier in your career. I couldn't agree more. And Diane, I'm looking at the clock. I cannot believe how much time has flown. I feel like we barely scratched the surface of everything I wanted to talk about. So I might make you do a part two. We were joking (laughs) about it before. (laughs) Then I could do, we could do a four hour story of what happened to my company. (laughs) Exactly. Everybody would be fascinated. We'll do part two, part three, (laughs) part four, part five. Um, But before we wind down, I want to rapid fire two questions to you. The first is you mentioned earlier understanding different people. What advice would you give to somebody who's in a new organization and is trying to get their footing? Yeah. Well, look, I already said part of this. It's do your homework, Mm -hmm. right? Learn as much as you possibly can. And then the second thing I'd say is look for mentors. And what I mean by that, the S on mentors is really important. Everybody always says, oh, will you be my mentor? I need one person. You can't, there's not one person who can help you anymore. So as early as possible in your career, start to build yourself a network of people who can help you. And I think a great place to start is in your organization. So I would say, find someone who is three to five years ahead of you that either has a job that you think is really interesting or who's been around for a while and connect with that person and say, could I buy you a cup of coffee? And then do not say the five worst possible words you could say, can I pick your brain? Nobody wants their brain picked. (laughs) But if you say, "Um, I'm having a couple of challenges in my job, related to how, I'm going to make this up, related to how I navigate being the only woman on a team of five men, and you seem to be doing a great job of it, and I'm just wondering if you can help me. If you do that and you say what the problem is, the person will give you an hour Mm -hmm. for that coffee. So mention something that you really want to, and just start, you know, or say, you know, you're in the sales organization. I never really thought I might be interested in sales, but now that I watch you and I see the impact that you're having in the organization, could I buy you a cup of coffee so that I could learn a little bit more about how you got to where you are in sales or whatever, and start having those kinds of conversations with people, like build a network of people within the organization who can help you. And then the last thing I'd say is um, get some people who can help you with your own performance. Mm. You know, so we all do that. It's like, oh, I went to a meeting and I had an idea and nobody listened. You know, then he had the idea 10 minutes later and everybody thought it was great or whatever. Like, you know, something's going on there. That's not like a, the right. world is bad and sexist problem. It's like it might be something about how you communicated or whatever. So find people where you can say, Jacqueline, you know that meeting we were in yesterday? Like, can you give me some feedback? you know, that would improve my effectiveness in meetings and get people who are willing to just, you know, give it to you straight. Amazing advice. Good. Last question. Take this however you will. What do you know now that you wish you knew back then? Well, I guess I'd repeat what I already told you, which is I, 
you know, what I know now is life is long. Um, there are, there are so, you know, I, when I was early in my career, I looked around, I'd like go to a high school reunion. I'd go to a college or a business school reunion. I'd say, damn, you know, he's so far ahead of me. She's so far ahead of me. I'm doing something wrong. You know, look at Beethoven, look at, you know, all of these people that were major (laughs) achievers. And I think I was anxious because I thought I wasn't moving fast enough. Yeah. And I caught up, you know, I caught up because we all had 10, 20, 30, 40 years of experiences to go. And so I think I would have relished uh, the work. Mm. I would have been, you know, more focused. I would have slept better at night, just trusting that it was all going to be fine. The journey, not the destination. I guess. Open to possibility. Yeah. Diane, this has been such an interesting conversation. Thank you so much for all of your time today. My pleasure. And as always, thank you to our listeners for joining us on another episode of Worked Up. Look out for new episodes on Tuesdays. As you can tell, we have wonderful guests joining us on a weekly basis. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave reviews. And please connect with us on Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting, our website, www.jacquelinebeckconsulting.com, or email us at info at jacquelinebeckconsulting.com. That's Jacqueline, J-A-C-L-Y-N, Beck, B-E-C-K. See you next time. <laughs>